All right, you may be seated. Hi. Thank you. My name is Simon. I am not Courtney's dad, though I wish I was, because she's so sweet. I said that, and then they said, well, aren't your own kids sweet? I'm like, well, yes, but I hope they'll grow up as sweet as she is. And so Her real parents are here, by the way, and they get all the credit, besides God. Hi. Um, this morning, we are continuing a series that we've been doing the last four weeks, and it's the art of being human, the art of being human. And the idea behind this series is for us to have an understanding of our identity, our meaning, and purpose as image bearers of God, okay? Called for creation care, which is part of why we have the after series, the, uh, the, the group afterwards to talk more about that, but also kingdom care people. How are we wired? What is God's purpose for each one of us as we take our place in his kingdom. And so I'm really excited as I'm going to be working through the next couple of weeks talking about that, especially in the area of our work, of our vocation, and how we're wired for purpose by God. But each week, if you've been here, uh, you notice that uh, uh, Pastor Lars and Pastor Joy both illustrated their sermons at the top with some kind of classical art piece. And I was, I've been looking at this little sketchy guy here. I don't know if, if some of you knew that that was a, a person. Uh, some were not sure. Uh, but that's a person in kind of a reclined position. I was like, I feel like I've seen that before somewhere. And then it hit me um, that it was this classic painting. Uh, Michelangelo had creation and painted that on the Sistine Chapel. Uh, and there's man. It's the moment of creation. And that's what he's depicting here. And what's, you know, beautiful about it is obviously it's artistic, amazing. But, you know, you see man, first of all, and that'd be the first man, Adam, in the default man position right? Which is the recline. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? That's, that's like how I will spend the rest of the day when I go back home. I'm like, that's, that's looking pretty good. But moment of creation, you have God reaching out with authority and power and presence into that reality. And their fingers are about to touch, at least it seems. And, and you know, Adam's kind of like, he's sort of still, but maybe I don't want to, I'm still reclined. And then God's like, you know, he's all leaning in heavy, you know. But as we look at this picture, we get this idea, you know, like there's man kind of in the full lounge recline and God about to give life. It's beautiful. I just don't know if it's 100% accurate. If you look at the reading we just had and the story that we're looking at out of Genesis. In fact, I was looking at this further and, you know, people have, of course, studied this painting for, for centuries. And, you know, some have assumed that that red thing that God is emerging on is kind of symbolic of the womb or I, I read an article that said it's actually the, the, a very detailed uh, brain, frontal lobe of the brain uh, map, and it's kind of like the mind of God, you know, the mind of heaven. But I almost think as I look at, uh, at God's eyes and his finger, I almost think he's not really like about to touch fingers, even though that's really sweet to think about, kind of E.T. moment. I think he's actually saying, hey, Adam, do you see that garden behind you? Get to work. Okay. You'll see that here back in the creation story. Let's go back to the reading that we just had a second ago. I'm going to show you this works. I think it's like get to work. Look, because in that day, the Lord made the earth and the heavens. We saw that no plant was there, but then he caused the rain to come and the mist was springing up and suddenly there's green things or stuff going on. There's rain on the earth, but there was no one there, he says, to work, to till the ground. There was no one to do that. And the stream would rise and the whole water of the face of the earth. And suddenly then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground 
and I, I guess in the full lounge position. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, beautiful moment, and then the man became living, like we got the breath of life there, beautiful moment. And then God, the Lord God planted that garden in, the, in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. And we're going to see in this image as we look further in the scriptures, that he didn't just place him there to lounge and just chill. He put him in there to work. Like his first day, Adam's first day was like get to work day. First day at work. We're going to see that. Like God has intentionality for each one of us in our work, in what we do. Whether you're here today and you're still in the workforce or retired or maybe you're a student, still working out what are you going to do, but God has intentionality of where he's placed you and how you work. We tend to think our worship is here Sunday morning and then our work is something else. We're going to see actually that all blends together. Let me introduce you to a word as we look at this idea of worship and work combined. Like we tend to think that they're separate things. Sunday I get to you know, do my worship and then Monday I have to go to work. But actually they're pretty united. Let me introduce this word here. This is a Hebrew word and, I, and the, the uh, English gloss is flipped, so forgive me for that. It's avodah, avodah. Can you all say that with me? Avodah. avodah. Oh, si habla espanol as well? No? Okay, good though. But you're off to great. You know some Hebrew. Avodah. Avodah is the word that was in that scripture we just looked at when the, it was said that there was no one there to avodah, the garden. There was no one there to work, okay? But what's interesting about this original language is it's not just work like got to get in and go to work, hi-ho. Avodah also implies worship. It's used elsewhere in the scripture to imply when we worship the Lord because work and worship in the Hebrew mind were not separate things. We work as we worship. We worship as we work. Avodah is also connected to the idea of servitude or servant or even in some cases in the scripture, enslavement, right? But it's not in a negative way. It's just saying we work, we worship, and that is an essential part. That's how we serve the Lord is avodah. We serve in this way. And we're going to see in the scriptures how, as we look at the story of God, how work and worship are not separate experiences. And I remember as somebody asked me this morning, have you always thought this way? I was like, no, I feel like I've been growing in this understanding. Of course, even now as I'm, you know, I, I work in the church, but there's work and worship are really combined. We're going to see that in the scriptures as we open up. So let me pray as we look back at God's word at Avodah and how he's calling us to combine our sense of work and our sense of worship and then we truly then give ourselves to the Lord, saying, consecrate us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the richness of the text. Thank you, Lord, that it's, it's your living, breathing word that animates our hearts still today. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we, we open up your word, as we consider, Lord, the works of your hands, as we consider, Lord, the work of our hands and how Lord, our work and our worship combined as our service to you. Lord, I can't press that idea on my friends. I'm still working it out.
But Lord, I pray that by your spirit within us, you could do that work to help us. Maybe we're here this morning and we're not sure what we're supposed to do, or maybe we feel trapped in a job we don't like, or, or, or maybe we're in that place where we're so proud of what we do that we, it's hard to see ourselves in our work and our worship combined. So Lord, you do a work in our hearts. You do a work. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking back then at this text in Genesis 1, I, I got to tell you, I love going back to Genesis because it just tells me where it all started, tells me where I began, tells me what happened, and tells me how we move forward. And to look at this text again, so there's the Garden of Eden. It's planted there. And you notice that in the text it says there was no one there to work. There was no one there to abodah. And the Lord then creates this man and he puts him there in the garden, not by accident. Uh, Adam wasn't wandering around and then just found himself there. He wasn't like kicking around looking for a job, and that's just the one that had an opening and he got in. God was very intentional that he placed the man in the garden. It says he put him there. He placed him there. And then you look at that verse 15, which we tacked onto the reading this morning, and, and the Lord God then took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to avodah, and to preserve it. That was his task. So it's really interesting. Again, first of all, I want you to notice that God was intentional in the way that he woke up this man and said, okay, get to work. Get off your, your lounge position and get to work, right? He was intentional about that. He placed the man there in the position that he could serve him by working and protecting and preserving what he had created. This is so great tee up for what uh, creation care we're going to talk about next, this idea of how we serve with the Lord. But I wanted you to notice that, first of all, the intentionality behind that, that it wasn't just by accident. He didn't just wander around and see the help wanted sign. He was called by God to serve in that garden. And I, I want us to, first of all, begin that understanding that our work is our calling. What you do matters. Our work is our calling. In fact, the word vocation, vocation, which sounds an awful lot like vacation, but it's actually the opposite. Vocation is our work, but even notice in that English word, it has kind of the sense of voc or voice in it because the understanding is every work we do is a calling. God is strategic in the way that he gifts his people, and he gives them passions and sets them in places to be able to serve. And guess what? You have been called. Wherever you serve, you have been called. Now, there may be some here this morning who have a little bit of unrest of like, wait, but I'm only doing this, or I'm in this job, and it's not really who I am. We can wrestle with that. But first of all, I want you to understand that your work is your calling, God has given you specific gifts and purposes to serve him where you are. Maybe that's exciting news for you this morning. Maybe that's awakening your heart to the reality that God actually cares about what you do Monday through Friday, what you do 50 plus hours a week, or if your mom's staying at home, dad's staying at home, what you do 100,000 plus hours a week. God cares about your work. He calls and he cares and he's very specific in the way that he places us to be able to serve him. But this is not just, this is not the end of the story. So if we go one more page over in the story of Genesis, there's a moment called the fall. It's not the fall season, although leaves are actually going to come crashing down. Um, 
It's the fall of mankind. And maybe this transition from creation, Genesis 1 and 2, to the fall, Genesis 3, is one that you've looked at several times. There's sort of ways you can look at it kind of spiritually. There's ways that you can look at what happened in the fall relationally. I love to do that. We're going to look at it vocationally, how the fall, how sin impacts our understanding of calling and what God wants us to do and how we understand that. So if you know the story of Genesis 3, you know there was a serpent in there and he was super crafty and he talked and he convinced this woman that eating the fruit was good and she took it and she bit it. She passed it on to her husband. He took a bite. And then in verse 7 it says, Suddenly their eyes were opened, but not in a good way. And they suddenly knew that they were naked, but not in a good way. And they then grabbed and sewed for themselves, they did some work here, fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Let's put this together with what they were called to do. The Lord placed the man and his helper in the garden. He told them to what? To work it and to preserve it. That was their job. Pretty simple job description. What do you do? I work in the garden. What do you, how do you do that? I work it, and I'm supposed to preserve it. Suddenly, in the fall, because of sin, they take and tear off pieces of that which they were supposed to care for and protect, and they cover themselves with it. Friends, I believe that we have been covering ourselves with bits of our work ever since. We get a false identity from our work and we use it to cover over who we are because in our sin, we're actually embarrassed. We're ashamed. And so we mask that shame by trying to get success and accolades out of our work. I'm unusual for many reasons. One of them, though, is as a pastor, I haven't always been a pastor. I had a whole life before uh, I came to Christ, and part of it included uh, I worked in, in, you know, regular job. I, had a, I worked in television. And as I kept getting promoted up and up, I could only tell you how often, how proud I was to be able to introduce myself to people and say, hi, I'm Simon, forget that part. I'm the senior writer and producer at the biggest news station in town. And when I shook my head, would you go like that? Because titles tend to give you a sense of authority. And titles tend to give you a sense of importance. And we use those to cover ourselves. I'm president of so-and-so. I'm vice president. I'm manager of so-and-so. Or oppositely, when I left television, I knew the Lord had called me towards ministry. It was a very humbling season. I'd, I'd worked in the church. I'd worked in ministry, but then I was going back to school, back to seminary full-time. And I got a part-time job that I was able to make a few bucks to help pay the bills. I was the garbage man. I wasn't even the driver garbage man. That's too high of a rank. I was the guy hanging on the back garbage man, okay? I wasn't bragging about that title. But we tend to do that. We tend to think that my work equals my worth and that's then my identity. We often will say to people, when you meet them, how many questions before you get to, so what do you do? Typically, it's a strong question, especially if we're confident 
about what we do. I can't wait to tell you what I do. I will listen to what you do long enough to tell you what I do. Because we tend to take a part of our calling and tear it off in a bad way and stick it onto us so that we can cover ourselves. We've been doing it ever since in the fall. We tend to think our identity is based on what we do and therefore how much we earn. And that becomes a false identity. It happens to uh, people that don't work at home either. Again, I mentioned you know uh, moms that work at home or dads that work at home. Every Mother's Day they do this. I don't know what sick organization does this, but on Mother's Day they always take and go, if a working mom were getting paid accurately for their jobs, they would earn $165,000 a year for laundry services. And, and, and you ever see that list that comes out on Mother's Day? It's so terrible because I'm like, why do you take the glory of a, of a parent shepherding their children full-time and you have to assign a dollar amount on it? You have to, right? No, we don't. It's good enough what it is. Called by God to serve and to love my family. So how, how do we rescue ourselves from that? As the first man and first woman cover themselves with pieces of their work, what do we do? Well, just as we sung this morning, we take it, Lord, and we ask him to consecrate it. God actually cares quite a bit about what you do, but he cares mostly about who you are, his son, his daughter, his child, one whom he loves so much that he sent his son to die and to redeem. That's your greatest identity, greater than any job you'll ever have, greater than any amount of money you'll ever earn. See, our work is meaningful when it becomes dependent on our identity as image bearers of God who serve in a way that glorifies the Lord. And that's whether you are the senior whatever or you are the garbage whatever. If you serve in that way with honor, knowing that you are glorifying the Lord in everything you do, then that's what it's like in whatever you do, putting the Lord first. But again, we tend to separate our worship and our work. And actually, God cares a lot about what you do. He does. Jesus, it's a great study, talked a lot about work. And he interacted with a lot of people that had jobs. And his approach to them was quite interesting. You can see that we go from our work as our covering, and then as Christ comes along, he has an interesting take on this. There's a moment in the Gospels where he's, he's walking and he's seeking followers. He's seeking disciples, people to work alongside him. And as he passes the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon, not me, and his brother Andrew, and they were out there casting a net, working for their dad, by the way, in the family business. They were fishermen. You can presume that there may have been generations of fishermen in their family. This is what they do. Jesus walks by and he says to them, hey, guys, follow me and I will help you be fishers. I'll help you fish, but for people. And they got up from the work they were doing, and they followed him. And he used the skills and passions and calling that he had placed them as fishermen to do amazing things. I've heard a lot of different reasons of why fishermen were relevant in kingdom building or what you know, qualities that they had, you know, patience and that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's really interesting that they were there working for their dad faithfully just working alongside underneath their dad. 
what a great example, what a great rooting that was for them to go and follow then the will of their father with Jesus at their side. Amazing. Jesus cares a lot about what we do. Follow me, he says, and you can still fish, but we'll fish with, for people because what you do matters. See, in Christ, our work then is consecrated. In Christ, our work is made holy. It's consecrated. Next week, we're going to have communion, and in that, we'll have the altar, and we'll take bread, and we'll give thanks for it, and we'll break it, and we will say it's been consecrated. It's, been, it's made holy, but it's still bread. And in the same way, when we give our vocational life over to Christ, we say, Lord, you rule and you reign over my work. Thank you for it. He will bless your work. He will consecrate what you do as we become obedient to him and following him of being fishers for men, men lawyers for men, doctors for men, uh, uh, traders for men. Like we can do this. We can go and we can represent Christ where we are. He will consecrate our work. Jesus talked a lot about this with the disciples. They were fishermen. He blessed them. They followed him, but they still continued to fish. We see that at the end of Gen in uh, John chapter 21. They're still out there fishing, only Jesus comes to the shoreline and says, hey, you having a hard time catching some fish? Actually throw your nets over to the left side. And they do, and they catch an abundance of fish. Jesus cares a lot about what you do. He wants to bless you. He wants to help you. He wants to lead you. What about the tax collectors? Well, there was Matthew, the tax collector, who Jesus called out of being a tax collector, called him into full-time ministry alongside. But there was also Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, whom Jesus sat down and said, if you're going to remain a tax collector, just be a good tax collector. Treat people fairly. We presume he continued in his career as the tax collector completely changed and consecrated in his work. What about the Apostle Paul? Ooh, writer of much of the New Testament. That's what he's known for. Acts 18 shows us that he actually was a tent maker. That's how he earned his primary uh, income. He worked alongside friends as he got, got into a new town, and that's how he made his money. So he didn't have to stress the church out much because it was so new. But most people don't know, oh, Paul the tent maker? That guy, oh, he could stitch him up really nice. No, we think of Paul the kingdom builder. Tent maker was like, you got to dig to find that. And I hope that's true in my story as well, and I hope that's true of yours. There's what we do in our vocations, in our lives, as students, as workers, as co-workers, or, or nurturers at home. But I hope at the end of our day, they don't remark on what I did for a living. They remark on the kingdom that was built through God's work in my heart. And same for you. God wants to consecrate your work. Our primary identity then is as kingdom and creation caregivers. So, in the art of being human, have you ever asked, Lord, what, what are you calling me to do? I was talking to a parent recently who was saying, uh, with some lament, you know, my, my youngest child is now off to college. And I was like, oh, that's, that's uh, it's tough. No, it's exciting. I was like, well, what do you hope you know, for them? Well, I just hope they never come back. You know, I hope they're happy and that they never come back. And I know what they mean. Like, you hope that they go off to college and, you know, get the career that takes off and they don't ever have to be dependent on you again. But as we got to talking a little bit more about kind of this idea of work and worship, I asked, you know, have you ever asked them, like, 
Lord, what, what do you want to do? Like, what kind of work do you want me to do? How have you gifted me? What passions have you given me to this student? So then he can decide how to serve. Like, oh, I hadn't thought of that much, you know? We try in the raising up of our five kids to constantly help them see how God has wired them to use for his kingdom, care, and calling. Because we're all called. And you ever ask the Lord, Lord, what are you, what are you calling me to do? Or maybe you're in a job uh, right now where you're like, I just don't know. I mean, for what I do, how can that equal kingdom? I just don't see it, you know? Lord, how are you calling me to serve you here in this place? That's a great prayer to begin. How can I glorify you through my work? The scriptures talk a lot about how we can serve each other. And even in Ephesians, it talks about um, as masters, as uh, workers, excuse me, as workers, as servants, that we are to serve as the Lord would, um, as if we're being watched in order to please them, excuse me, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only as you're being watched, but in order to please them, but with all your heart, fearing the Lord also. He goes on to explain that masters, bosses, treat your workers justly and fairly so that you know also that you have a master in heaven. In other words, that we're all equal in the work field. It's not me as the senior writer producer and them as a lowly something. We're all equal in God's eyes. And so whether God has placed you in that position in the top office or as the hourly worker, treating each other with dignity. That's my third question for you is, Lord, how can I esteem others through my work? How can I glorify you and how can I esteem others in my work? This is the best way to begin your prayer life right now of just, Lord, will you take all that I am, not just my Sunday morning, but will you take that nine to five or that eight to six or that eight to eight or that sun up to sundown? Will you take it, Lord? Will you take it? Will you take all of me? And will you redeem it? Maybe you're here this morning and you're just, you just want that finger touch of God. Here's what's amazing. The God we serve is a God who also works. And he's never stopped working. Like he's still inviting us to come along with him. But the fullness of his work was when his son Jesus came. Not to be served, but to serve perfectly obedient to the will of his Father, healing, engaging, touching, teaching, obedient to his Father all the way to the cross where he died for all of our sins, only to be set in the ground for three days to rise again one more time to show that we too have the option of new life as we follow him in whatever we do and whatever he has called us to do. So this morning, as we search, and we'll talk more about this next week as well, as we search for that avodah, how our work and our worship combine, let's begin in prayer. Father, just saying thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the breath that you have placed in my lungs. Lord, thank you for the life you have given me. Thank you for the intentional way the specific way that you have gifted me and given me opportunities and passion to serve you. And if you're a student here this morning, Lord, will you help me figure out how I can serve you best? Or if you're a, a worker already in the field or a nurturer at home, 
Lord, can you show me how I can glorify you through my work? And Lord, we thank you so much for the finished work there on the cross.